Hello and welcome to the Booster Pack. My name is Rance and this is the show where we unwrap the stories and crack the mysteries of collectible games each and every episode. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the past, the present, and perhaps most importantly, the future of one collectible card game. That is Genesis Battle of Champions. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of you in the audience who have already heard of Genesis, but just in case, there's probably going to be a few who have not. And regardless of which camp there you fall into, there's one thing I'm willing to bet on. That's moving forward. You're going to hear a lot more about Genesis because it is about to go from a community-driven collectible card game into one that's going to get international attention via a Kickstarter campaign that's about to launch today. So... Before we get into that in the episode, let me just give you an overview of what Genesis is, just in case you don't know what it is. So Genesis Battle of Champions is a tactical collectible card game that is created by an independent startup gaming company here in Eastern Canada called Haunted Castle Gaming. Now, don't get me wrong, though, this is no Greenhorn game publisher. They have, in fact, been around for the last four years building out this game over that time. To catch us up on what's happened over those four years and what will happen in the next four and beyond that, we have a very special guest today. So allow me to introduce them. Yes, our guest is very passionate about the collectible card game genre. So passionate, in fact, that they quit their job in the tech sector to pursue the loftiest of CCG lover dreams. That is to publish, design, and manage their own collectible card game. Well, in 2017, that dream became a reality and they've spent their time building out that game and the community exponentially ever since. They even had a second championship tournament recently that had glamorous prize support and streaming coverage all day long. It was fantastic, might I add. And as I said earlier, they are about to launch a Kickstarter for their sixth expansion, which basically is a jumping on point for an entire new set of players. And I can't wait to talk about that in the episode. So please welcome to the Booster Pack, the CEO of Haunted Castle Gaming and the person who is perhaps the genesis of Genesis Battle of Champions, our guest, its inventor, Asad Karashi. Asad, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. I am. It is amazing hearing someone list all those things out. I don't think I've taken a moment to like really take a step back and yeah that that all happened that was within my lifespan that happened well when you condense four years of hard hard work down to uh, a few seconds you it, it looks pretty impressive sounds intense it definitely sounds uh, a lot more herculean than it, uh, it was and it doesn't sound like it's going to stop anytime soon because you've got this big project launching and i can't wait to talk about that but as i said in the intro there we're going to talk about the past and the present and eventually the future but let's let's start where it makes sense so let's start with the past i would love to get to know sort of what your history with collectible games is and and sort of where that comes from where does that passion for collectible games really come from uh, within you like what did you first start playing what were the first games you learned tell me all about it so it started back in 94 uh 94 95 uh around the time when ice age for magic the gathering came out uh my dad was the more I look back at it, my dad was a very non-traditionalist when it came to the way he wanted to raise his kids. So he definitely, the first and foremost thing he did is instead of buying all of us brothers bikes, he gave us computers. And this was at a time where most people didn't even, most people didn't even touch a computer before in their life, uh, let alone having one for every single one of your kids. This was crazy. So there's four, uh, it was me and three older brothers. Uh, so the four of us had our own computers. My mom did. My dad did. We had a house of six computers where normally people only heard about computers on TV. So uh, it was crazy at that time. 
And then on top of that, instead of doing things like swim meets or uh, baseball or basketball or any other sports, my dad wanted us to game. Uh, so he would get us gaming consoles, video games, but he couldn't find a video game that was for four players. Uh, so he was talking to a store owner and they recommended that my dad buy them uh, magic cards. So it was what the store owner would do, would open up a bunch of packs, take out his favorite cards and have this bulk commons and uncommons. And he sold them to my dad for just super cheap. So we brought all the cards home. My dad split all the cards into the five colors and each of us brothers took a different color. Uh, I play black. Uh, and then my dad had the last color, which is blue, which is very suiting given how brilliant he is as a person. Uh, and uh, we just kind of got into card games at that time. Shortly after, uh, my oldest brother discovered a card game called Overpower. And this was a TCG that was, yep, focused around uh, the Marvel superheroes and being a comic book geek and loving the X-Men TV shows in the 90s, Spider-Man, X-Men, Batman, all those had like such amazing TV shows at that time. Uh, my oldest brother got into that card game and taught us all how to play. So obsessively for a few years, we all played Overpower. Uh, and then my brother stopped playing collectible card games. But at this time, I was old enough that I started playing with my peers. So uh, I got my friends. My friends got me into Pokemon. Uh, then I got them into Overpower. So I would take my old Overpower collection, repackage them up into boost packs, and then sell them to my friends. Uh, and then they got into Overpower. I printed, I did print and play for Triple Triad, which was a card game from Final Fantasy VIII. Yep. Uh, and then when I was in high school, grade nine was the only year I wasn't playing any card game. But in grade 10, my second oldest brother came up to me. He's like, do you remember when we were all kids and we all hung out together and played magic? I was like, yeah. He's like, there's a store not too far from here that does something called a booster draft. I have no idea what this is. Do you want to go do it? I'm like, sure. So we went over there. This was during Odyssey, uh, the, just at the end of Invasion, early Odyssey. And we did a booster draft, had no idea what a booster draft was. So we had that, that taught to us. Luckily, I still remembered how to play magic. So we drafted. I got dead last. It was terrible. Um, but I still walked away with a, what was it? The blue wish, cunning wish uh, or something like that. And uh, at that time, I was really excited about that card. It just seemed really cool, very unique. Uh, so then me, my brothers, all of my brother's friends, all of my friends uh, started getting into magic very seriously. Uh, and then we played that from Odyssey up to Mirden. So I think that was to uh, a few years three four years uh and then what happened at that point was my friends didn't have the money to invest into magic anymore and i'd been playing collectible card games my entire life and then one morning i had a dream this was actually before we started playing magic but it persisted later i had a dream where i made my own collectible card game so i went to one of my friends i told him about this dream and i said do you want to make a card game with me he's like sure so we made, started making our first card game. Then we got into magic and then we ran out of money. So we went back to designing our own card game, uh, which was basically a magic clone. And then we, uh, we got money again. So we went into Yu-Gi-Oh! Then we lost all our money. Then we went back into designing our own card game. And this went back and forth for years. Uh, and every single time I went back to design card games, I took the ideas that I liked from the previous card game and integrated it into the game I was designing. 
Uh, and this happened over and over again. And then eventually I started learning about design. I was in university and I started learning about design. And one of the things they say about design is you have to experience all of your competitors' products and start picking and choosing some of your favorite things. So I went on a rampage. I bought about 20 different games, played them all for about a week, week and a half with a designer lens on them, found all the things I loved about them and started uh, putting them into my favorite games, uh, putting them together into one game. Then I played a card game called Anachronism made by the History Channel. Uh, and it was a tactical collectible card game. Hence the grid. I wondered where that came from. I don't want to say that they did anything poorly. They made their own design decisions. I'm sure they decided what was best for them. One thing that didn't resonate with me was that eventually halfway through the game, the movement system became very irrelevant. It made it, it was super difficult to move out of combat. And the moment you did, it was really easy for your opponent to move into combat. Uh, at least that was my experience playing it. I was like, okay, the movement system needs to be a lot smoother, a lot more seamless, and give you the opportunity to run away if you need to. Uh, so we focused a lot on that. And then I played another card game called Huntix. Uh, and that also had a grid-like system. And, and like positioning didn't matter. Uh, so we started combining all these ideas together. And then we got into Warhammer. And Warhammer provided something that was really special. One is the, the army building. Uh, where you and your opponent agree upon this is how many paint, uh, points we're going to spend, and then you brought any army you wanted as long as it adhered to the rules, right? So in Genesis, you have your champion, which would be your commander, from, uh, your leader from uh, Warhammer. You need to have one leader. And then it was 250 points. It's the same system. We just brought that over to a collectible card game. And the second, the second thing that Warhammer did, which uh, was really interesting was you started the game off with your entire army and the game ends when you have no more army. Of course, it's about attrition. Genesis reverses the system. You start the game off with all your resources. You are never stronger than you are at the beginning of the game. And then it goes on until you're, you're out of resources and you and your opponent are just standing there slinging punches at each other. And that is where all those concepts kind of came from. I am so fascinated by this because obviously you've just name dropped about 10 TCGs. I would love to go back and just have entire conversations about. But all of a sudden, anachronism, which I, it, it was not collectible in the sense that you buy booster packs, but there was collection sets and stuff like that. Immediately, it had the, the range that Genesis has on top. It had like the, uh, what you would call, um, I think in Genesis, like the perspective or the- Awareness. Yeah, it's amazing. I never really even thought about that. And, and the Warhammer thing does feel very, uh, very relevant as well, because it is that same sort of hobby game that, that sort of bleeds into that. Now, when you're designing Genesis uh, way back then, like, was there other things you tried? Like, was it always going to be this grid style game that, that, that sort of came out of what you did when you were a teenager? Or was there, did you try other systems, something like where it was more like a static board state, like magic, anything like that? So our very first version of it, and I still have the piece of cardboard we drew this on, was a grid. It was more focused towards how Yu-Gi-Oh's grid is. We have your, Yu-Gi-Oh has a monster line and a trap line. We had an attack line and a defense line, and it was two by six. So if you play multiplayer, you split your board. So it's a two by six, but then it splits like this. And then two by three is going this way, two by three is going this way. And they kind of connected in a ring. And then once a player, once this player died beside you, yours would just connect to the next player. Uh, so we had that system. 
basically what happened was I love Yu-Gi-Oh! in a lot of ways, but there's such a huge disconnect between the TV show and the card game. And we wanted to create a game that was closer to the TV show where you could do ridiculous things like call out the moon, which will raise the tides uh, and then destroy the moon. And then all the water goes away and all these water creatures start getting suffer, uh, start suffering. Um, that type of flavor was something we were really interested in. More than anything from both um, Warhammer and from Yu-Gi-Oh, what we were trying to deliver, and I think we did a fairly reasonable job at this, is make a game that is both fun to play, but also cinematic. It's fun to watch. I think that's where the Yu-Gi-Oh! collectible card game, is, uh, there's a bit of a disconnect. If you don't know what's happening on the board, then there isn't a something to watch. It isn't as captivating. But in the TV show, it was different because you had like Dark Magician doing these crazy attacks and things like that, right? Yeah, the, the, the cards weren't popping out in local game stores in, in the same way that they were in Duelist Kingdom. Uh, and then Warhammer is beautifully cinematic. Like if middle of the game, you pull out your cell phone, you just start taking photos. This thing looks epic. So we're trying to find something that's in the middle. Uh, and that's why even some of our cards are done in a 3D rendering on the back end so that we can print, print miniatures for them uh, at one point. So that we did a painting contest during COVID where we actually did this. And it was awesome seeing a bunch of people paint a model uh, and uh, win stuff for doing it. That's amazing. So um, just for those who don't know, Genesis it uses a sort of like a hero system where you uh, have one particular hero. In fact, you are that hero and you play that card that moves around this six by five grid. Um, and what you could do is essentially, I, I never had thought about it, but you could essentially just put a miniature down to represent your hero, use the card on the side to reference it. And it would almost look like a Warhammer style miniatures game, but you're playing a CCG style thing. That's fantastic. And I assume eventually you get far enough down that line and you've got your summons, which are like your creatures. You've got things for them and all that sort of stuff. Next thing you know, you will be destroying the moon to uh, to play that. So in really early playtesting, what we used to do was um, I had a bunch of models of characters from Final Fantasy. So I play, my champion was always replaced with Sephiroth because why not? It's Sephiroth. He's the coolest guy in Final Fantasy. Exactly. And then uh, whenever I would bring out like a hunting hound, a very basic creature, I would replace it with my models from Warhammer. So I'd have to use my Warhammer models on the board. So I have a lot of photos from those early days where we use, if there's four of us, we would use Ninja Turtles as our champions. Uh, or if I'm playing with just a, a few friends, I would use Mewtwo as my champion. Uh, it's just a lot of geekiness, but... It, and then you take these photos and it looks really cool because you have these different models attacking each other like you would in a miniature game. But then you're still playing a TCG, which I love. Now, there's a couple other unique game design things that I wanted to talk about with Genesis. Obviously, we've already covered the fact that it's very inspired by miniature games that I absolutely love because I feel like that could be a huge part of the marketing moving forward. But there's a few things that I think are very unique as far as at least in the TCG space. So the first one I want to call out is when you create a deck for Genesis. You are beholden to what's called a chi limit, which is basically each card has a value and you can only have so much value in a deck for the, the particular format. Now, this has been done in a couple of other collectible card games. I don't know if there were the ones you experienced. It's things like Wildstorm or whatnot. And even Overpower, the opening team could only add up to a certain number. What do you, um, what do you say is the inspiration for chi in this game? So it came down to three factors. One was overpower. 
Uh, you called it right there. Uh, I loved it. I loved when you wanted to put Onslaught in your deck. More often than not, you're balancing it out with X-Babies. And that's just the most adorable thing when you think about the fighting scene that's going on. You're there with your team and they're, you know, Superman, Batman, whoever. And then you look at your opponent's team and he's like, you got Onslaught. And then right in front of them are the X-Babies. I'm like, we can fight, we can fight. <laughs> so I love that. That's part of it. Um, and then the Warhammer, I mentioned this before, is like you would have 1500 point armies and things like that. Uh, but where the other factor, the thing that's the discrepancy between those, because Overpower focused on your heroes that you were playing with, but nothing about deck design. Warhammer, if you think of your miniatures as a deck, it focuses on the cap of your deck, but not about the uh, amount of cards. So this is something we get into when you look at the meta of most collectible card games. And what really stood out for me is in Magic the Gathering, the fetch lands. Having someone explain to me mathematically why the fetch lands are so powerful in that game, being like, okay, you play it, you, you have a 60-card deck, you play your first fetch land, you have 59 cards, ignoring the cards you do in your hand, and then you sacrifice it and you go down to 58 cards. Now, if you're looking for a specific card, you're no, no longer looking for it as one of 59 cards in your deck, you're looking at it as one of 58 cards. So your odds of getting what you need is very important. Now, when we look at the miniature aspect in Warhammer, you in a 1500 point army, you could come out with just six units and that's 1500 points, or you could come out with a hundred units at 1500 points, right? Uh, there was no limitation on the number of units. So, with Genesis, we had to take both sides what is important on TCG space and what's unique that from other games and find a middle ground. So, that's why we went with your deck has to be exactly 50 cards, no more, no less, and then. 250 points so the average card comes out to five meaning now same like a warhammer uh, or an overpower where if you want to put in something really powerful you gotta put something really weak to balance it out but your deck size is staying the same meaning you don't have a statistical advantage over your opponent but the players who really can take this a step forward further i don't know if you remember this when you're going through school but you know mean median and mode right uh, and the mean being the average, the median being the middle uh, a number in a data set, but the mode being the number that appears the most often. Uh, so the mode of your deck actually matters when you're designing a deck in Genesis. Yeah, similar to sort of like a mana curve that you hear about in like Magic Drafts and stuff like that as well. So in here, everything goes from three to eight. So there's no two that directly bounces out of an eight. So every time you put in an eight, you're putting in at least a three and a four to bounce it out. So two cards that are below average for one card significantly above average. Uh, that makes your average of your deck balance out, but your mode is now in the negative because more often than not, the card you draw is going to be below five. Uh, and this is the thing that the stronger players pay a lot of attention to. And they do things like put in one three to put in two sixes, which can now push your mode in the positive. Uh, so... There's a lot of math behind it, but that's also the kind of person I have. I have a degree in computer science. So math and statistics were the things that I studied a lot in university. So let me just pull out a couple of things there. So unlike in something, say, like Magic the Gathering, um, you are basically balancing this sort of 
this sort of good and bad take thing. Like nothing's an auto include like there is in Magic the Gathering. It's not like, oh, this is this counter spell. Boom. Let's pet four in because that's the maximum I can. You've got to sort of balance it against what the costs are and everything like that. And it also like Richard Garfield, who created Magic, talks about the metagame, the game of enjoying the game outside of actually playing it. And it sounds like sort of like the way i hate to keep bringing it back to magic but the same way that people enjoy building a commander deck in magic because you can only have one of each and you're restricted on whatever colors in this one you're sort of balancing sort of almost making your own jigsaw puzzle or to bring it back to Yu-Gi-Oh, a millennium puzzle which is your deck sort of thing um now the thing i find fascinating there is genesis has another thing that's quite unique for a um trading card game and that's because of this system i guess there's no card limit so you could have you know a, ideally 10 copies of any card 20 copies of any card if you think that its value is just as good explain that to me where did that come from you're getting to some really interesting uh math here so first and foremost let's give a lot of credit where credit's due richard garfield is a brilliant person uh he was studying his phd when he was studying his phd when he designed magic like a phd in mathematics so he built his entire system around the principles of math that he studied. This is hypothetical. I haven't sat with Richard Garfield, but if he ever hears this, I'd love to have coffee with him because he studied, he did a PhD in mathematics, which is amazing. And he, I would assume, applies his world experiences into designing magic, as most people who do arts do, right? You express yourself through it. My study was in computer science. And um, there's a lot of a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of nuances. And one of the things I look at is breadth versus depth. If you have a deck that has a lot of depth, if you pick a lot of the same cards and run them in your deck, yes, your deck will be consistent, but it'll be predictable. On the other hand, if you create a lot of breadth, uh, it'll be, it will not be predictable, but you don't know what your deck's going to do every single game. And I like to give this onus into the player's hands instead of choosing it for them. Uh, the reason behind it is after years of playing Magic, my favorite card, all-time favorite card, is Dark Banishing. One black, two colorless, destroy target non-black creature, can't be regenerated. Um, it's it's my all-time favorite card, but in comparison to all the other spot removal cards in Magic, it's on the lower tier. Like Terra or something like that. Yeah. Uh, there are cards that just strictly are better than it. Uh, so my questioning was, if that's the case, why can't I run more copies of it? If it's an inferior card, why am I not allowed to run more copies of it? So we wanted to create, basically there's three axes when you're looking at designing your deck. Resource expense, resource to put it into your deck, but also uh, the amount of copies that you eventually hit a sweet spot and it's efficient for your deck. And these are the things that the players are bouncing through, uh, bouncing through all the time. On top of that, your character that you play with, your champion, has a different set of resources at their disposal. So every champion is going to be designing the decks differently. Uh, so there's so much nuance in de deck design that, yes, it is overwhelming. But the players who enjoy it, enjoy it a lot. Because it is a thing that you can really sink your teeth into and get uh, delve into month over month. But the only way to refine your deck and get better at it is playing with it. You can't just sit at home uh, and practice against yourself and refine it that way. You have to bring it to the arena. You have to fight against someone and see where the strengths and weaknesses of your deck are. That's fantastic because the way I see that is it's sort of 
Deed is something that Magic gets a lot of criticism for. And again, I'm sorry for ragging on that. As we said, Richard Garfield is a genius. It's obviously just one of the biggest games and an easy example to go to. But it stops that sort of net decking that you get from Magic the Gathering where everyone's like, well, obviously this is going to be the best game in the format. We're going to do, uh, you know, Flash Hulk or something like that. Something that's just going to be absolutely instant win sort of stuff. Whereas in this game, because you start high and then completely go down to your weaker self, it is that battle of attrition, which I think is a great way to construct the game in that sense like i think it's absolutely fantastic now we could literally sit here for another three hours and just talk about the granular nature of the things that you put into this game because it is so much depth to it but unfortunately we do have somewhat of a time limit nothing too crazy so let's move on to what actually went into you physically taking this game from this drawn out you know draft paper version into making it like how like what were your first steps like how did you this is not something people do. People don't just walk out their house one day and say, I had a dream. Uh, I'm going to create a collectible card game. Hey, I'll just go down to the local print shop. No, you got actually something printed. So tell me all about how that came about. So there's a few things that go into that story. One was um, my experience through university. So when I started university first year, I did not take it very seriously. I did not do it very well. And I failed a lot of my first classes and I was considering dropping out. Uh, I did not think I was going to be able to graduate. It was just too much for me. Uh, and I took a year off and I started working in factories and I met someone and he said, you are way too smart to be working in factory. Go back to university. Uh, and there were other people who influenced me. It's just that one moment. It was very special because this guy looked like Santa Claus. Um, he took, uh, I, when I started working at this one factory, he was on vacation. He took a three month leave and came back in December and he's this jolly person with a big white beard and he's like go chase your dreams oh my god this is like something out of a hollywood movie this is like act two <laughs> i know right so i went back to university and i said this time i'm finishing university i'm going to do this uh and at that point i had basically undergone a mental shift which is if i'm gonna start a project i'm going to finish it so I started, uh, went back to university, struggled for the first few years, did a co-op at BlackBerry in Seattle. And at that, during that co-op, I decided, you know what, I'm going to finish making what at that time was called Origins. That was the name of Genesis at that time. Uh, so I was like, I'm going to finish designing this game. Uh, luckily, my brother, who was also in Seattle at the time, was best friends with people who were um, a lot of software engineers because he was a developer at Amazon. But he was also friends with people who were like senior testers at Microsoft, at Google, uh, at Amazon. So I had some of these really intense testers and really uh, passionate developers who came and play tested my game every Saturday. It's it was their Saturday. They would come over to my brother's place, we'd get pizza, and we would play Origins for hours. And I actually designed the game. I finished it, uh, and I have a binder just here, which is every single card in its final format from Origins. Uh, and then I went back to university, I graduated, and I, could I finally was able to say to myself, you know, when I start a project, I can finish it. I'm not someone who abandons things halfway through. Uh, and then after university, I started dating now my wife, uh, and she took a year to go study at teacher's college. And during that time, I was like, what am I gonna do with myself? She was two hours away. I only saw her on the weekends. Uh, how do I occupy my time during the weekdays? And I'm the kind of person who, if there's something I don't know how to do, I'm going to do it over and over again until I feel comfortable doing it. So uh, in 
in a way, kind of like what I do with my vlogs almost every day. For the past few days, I've been skipping them because of this Kickstarter. But uh, I, I am not comfortable in front of a camera. So what I did, it was instead of shying away from it, I started putting myself in front of a camera every single day until I started feeling comfortable with it. So if you watch those old videos, oh my goodness, they're so embarrassing. But I'm much more comfortable in front of a camera now. So that in com a combination with the fact that um, for me, the best way to study something is by taking it and applying it to the game design. So when I was studying computer science, I applied everything I learned about um, algorithm design, about testing software. I applied it to making Genesis. Uh, when I started uh, learning how to become a software tester, uh, and that's what I did for about five to 10 years before signing this, uh, signing on to Castle Gaming, everything I learned about software testing, I would apply to Genesis as a way to practice it. So a lot of time on my hand, proving to myself that I can finish projects and also wanting to experience things and uh, apply it to game design, basically it was like, all right, I want to learn what it's like to start a company. So I was, I didn't know what to start the company around. I had origins done and I got an advice from a great friend of mine who said, uh, if you already have a product that you're passionate about, design a company around that. Don't try to make a new product. Don't try to chase after what is flashy on the market, which at that time were deck builders uh, and a lot of board games. Uh, he was like, if that's not where your passion is, then don't do that. Put, uh, go with what you're passionate about. So I took Genesis and I said, uh, I'm going to make a market-ready version of this. I'm going to start my own company and learn what it's like to do sales, marketing, being a CEO, what it's like to you know talk to banks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm just going to do it. Do it until I'm comfortable with it. And I'm not going to say that I'm comfortable with it yet but I'm definitely a lot more comfortable with it now than I was when I first started. So it was just a bunch of things that fell into place at the right time for me to say, I'm going to start a company around Genesis uh, and go out that way. But how does somebody like that, like, you know, you're just like, oh, okay, like there's no roadmap for this. It's not like you can do like a six month deployment in TCG creation. Like how do you go out of finding artists, for example? I put up a post on a website called guru.com saying I'm looking for an artist in the GTA area who's interested in doing this project with me. And I met someone at that point, Arthur Tanga, who was our art director originally. And the two of us started going into the project together. Uh, the first artist that was part of my team, I was at a uh, booster draft for FNM. And uh, this guy approaches me and says, hey, I hear you're making your own collectible card game. My girlfriend is looking to increase her portfolio. Do you think you two can meet? So I sat with her, did a small interview, and uh, she started designing. She's the one who did the angel artwork on the starter kit and the bolt chart artwork. Uh, she did the first few pieces that really started getting other artists interested in the game. Uh, but at the end of the day, we worked within our means. Uh, I was I did everything off of my own life savings uh, for the first four years of design and development, I had no investment. Uh, I had no capital to work with. I was working full-time at a small tech uh, company and I would put some of it towards rent, some of my money towards food and the rest towards designing this game. That's fascinating. So what I'm hearing there is there's a lot of things that went into that. Obviously there was a little bit of luck. There was a lot of dedication. And to be honest with you, just talking about your sales of just a starter set, 
it sounds like you were just four years ahead of your time. I feel like everybody's just catching up with you now because it was obviously a demand for this new collectible game space that, that we're starting to sort of see thanks to the last 12 months, the last 18 months. And you were there already just investigating that market. I'm absolutely fascinated by that. And again, we could go on like, how, how do you go about like just, I'm sure if we had this much of a conversation so far, how do you go about just making 30 copies of a starter deck? Like, like, did you, did you get it printed overseas? Was that something you did like on demand? Like, I don't understand how that, that sort of comes about. Like how, do, how was that journey for you? I found out about the Game Crafter. Uh, it's a great place to get board games designed. They're prototypes of your game. Do not use that site to try to make a business off of it. They're about short print runs. Anything less than 100 copies, 100 copies or less, it's worthwhile working through them. But uh, once you're starting to look at bigger numbers, there are other companies you can reach into. And these people will give you that information freely. They're not trying to hide it. It's no secret. And it's the same thing. With, if anyone reaches out to me and says, hey, where do I find good artists? Where do I go to for playtesting resources? Where do I go to? Uh, can I contact your manufacturer on who made Genesis? I'm like, here's a phone number. Here's an email. Here, like, we need to be open with those conversations because every industry should have a healthy amount of competition in it. Otherwise, you get one company that monopolizes the entire industry, dictates how the industry should be run, and creates, qual creates products based on what they deem is high quality, but not what the community deserves. Uh, I'm talking about, of course, the cell phone industry with BlackBerry. Of course, nothing of that is, uh, is, is parallel to what we are experiencing at the moment. And there's no reason that the small companies are disrupting any sort of big company because they're doing what they want. That's not at all related to TCGs in the slightest. So <laughs> um, I, I think it's really important that a lot more people are coming into this space. The thing that I wish I could say to every single person who's coming into the space is build a company that is building a TCG don't just build a TCG because TCGs are very different than board games. Board games, I like to compare them movies versus TV shows. Movies are one and done. You, you, you create it, you put it out there, people watch it. It's wonderful. They put it on their shelf and they might go and watch it again. TV shows, you're in committed for an episode every single week back in the day. Now with Netflix, it just all gets dropped at once. But back in the day, it was you were committed weekly to come watch the show. So the writers were then committed to create quality content every single week. It was a big production and you couldn't just um, do all your value add at the very beginning and hope that it succeeds. You have to have a long-term strategy. And this is where business planning comes in. Uh, when I started Haunted Castle Gaming, I like to tell people I created Haunted Castle Gaming and it created Genesis. And I, all I do day in and day out is make Haunted Castle Gaming successful. And that will in turn make Genesis successful because Haunted Castle Gaming is where the partnerships come in, where the relationships come in, where we talk about company values and philosophies. Uh, that's really what may, will make a successful game. Uh, and even having software experience in the software space, uh, it is about building a solid company. The CEO still matters. You don't have the lead game design, or like the lead developer, also be the CEO of a tech industry. Uh, you have a proper CEO who's running the company 
and a proper tech lead. So for Haunted Castle Gaming, that's why we brought in Alex Miller. He is our lead game designer. He focuses on making the game the best that it can be. He does not need to focus on marketing. He does not need to focus on sales. I get his advice. I definitely get his input. But those are not his responsibilities. His responsibility is to make Genesis as good as it can be. That's amazing. Like, honestly, like, it, it, it is so vast the amount of work that making a collectible card game uh, requires. And obviously, you know, you've, you've gone through all these different avenues and, and we've built up and we've talked about all that sort of stuff. I would love to keep talking about this for ages. And in fact, I, we could spin this off into a whole other series, but I would love to talk about you launching Genesis. Like, so what happened? Like you got the cards printed, you got the art finally, everything happens. You've gone to your convention. It's fantastic. Alpha is out in the world and there was only 30 of them. And then eventually you have a set called Beta come along that you also release this one might have booster packs and stuff like that how did that feel having something like this growing organically from haunted castle gaming like like tell me about your experience in the first couple of years before you know the modern time tell me about at the beginning when we launched alpha we brought 30 copies of the starter kit and expected to ascent sell at most three and then during that event, we sold over 20. Some of them I sold privately to like my brother. He, it was adorable. He dressed up and everything. We got photos of him buying the very first copy of the game. Uh, and I love the family support, of course. Um, so we sold a few privately. We sold about 20 plus at the convention, sold out on all 30 within the first uh, week. And that really changed things. And then started, people were like, okay, we bought the game. We want to play the game what's your next step on getting the game out there so we were able to find a local game store who uh was like i used to visit the local game store the owner was a really nice guy and then uh one of the people who's very passionate about the game also uh told the owner hey uh, take a chance on this game you give them the space you know let uh, let us host tournaments so we started hosting these small little tournaments and we were lucky if six people would show up uh and our very first genesis tournament was literally my three brothers and two of their friends and one other guy like it was just people who were there mainly to support me so it was wonderful we had uh, a great time but at that time we literally just had the starter kit so it was 30 cards of the alpha set and my plan was uh the first skycon we launched the alpha set at the second skycon we would release booster packs it would be a year between getting the starter kits and then getting the booster packs but everyone started asking for booster packs sooner right so we started uh working on the cards faster i started investing a little bit more into the artwork finishing off the set getting feedback getting play testing uh from that community and then uh they uh, we started releasing the booster packs in small waves. So the first booster packs where you only made, I think, 15 of them or fewer, something like that. All the um, release numbers are on our website. So we made a handful of booster packs and it gave them away as prizing. And then we made a few more artworks, had a few more cards done. Then I printed off more booster packs and gave them out as prizing. And this kept on happening until the set finally finished and we had all 90 cards done. And before Alpha... Uh, so... As a way to close off Alpha, we created about 30 booster boxes of Alpha. And I have one of them up on the shelf somewhere on the far end of all my booster boxes. Uh, we made 30 booster boxes and we sold a few of them, held on to a lot of them. And uh, then we wrapped up Alpha and we went to Beta. And Beta was a functional reprint of Alpha, 
but done on a mass production level. So that way we actually had a profit margin because the thing about alpha was the starter kits, I sold them for 75, but I was producing them. Like the cost of landing cost on me was about 110. So I was taking well over $30 loss every time I sold one of those. Uh, and same with the booster packs. I would sell them for $10, $7, but I was paying $10 to get them made. Uh, so beta was our first set where I actually was selling the product close to cost. I think I was only getting like a 5% profit margin on them. Uh, but it was about getting enough product out there so that more people can start jumping on. Uh, and then we, from beta, uh, when we released beta, we were in two local game stores at that time, uh, Forbes Hobbies in Cambridge, Ontario, and Heads or Tails Gaming in Brantford, Ontario. And Heads or Tails has been with us since they've never stopped carrying the product or um, sponsoring us in any ways. They actually have now a Thursday um, vlog or Thursday um, live stream, which is dedicated towards Genesis. So I'm like, that's awesome. I'm really grateful for their continued support. Uh, they've been there every step of the way. Uh, and then, yeah, we just released new sets every year because the time between sets it was i had three game designers who would come and help out and we had what we had called the future league the play testers uh who were refining things but it still took a lot of time to just design a set and get all the artwork made uh and get it all together to get printed and it was all coming out of my life savings it wasn't like uh like i mentioned i don't have a huge investor behind this this is completely self-funded uh, and completely bootstrapped. So uh, it was it was very slow growth. Uh, but my philosophy and the thing that kind of helped me stay strong during those difficult times were uh, I know as a company, your first five years, you're going to make a ton of very serious, critical mistakes. Make those mistakes in front of as few people as possible. Make those mistakes as soon as possible, but do it in front of as few people as possible. So when we're making significant mistakes in front of two local game stores, that's fine. That's whatever, right? Now, when you make a significant mistake in front of 80 local game stores, that's a little bit more serious. But that sort of brings me to my next point. How did Genesis sort of transition to the modern era? How did, like, when we look at the history of collectible card games, when, you know, in a thousand years time, when they're looking back and saying, what happened in this sort of 2020 bubble? Like, how did Genesis go from this sort of like two store thing to expanding into it? And how did sort of the COVID and, and the last couple of years really shape and change Genesis from your perspective? So... It's really interesting because I, there will be a few people who might have memories of this, but back in 2017, 2018, I told everyone that there was going to be a huge explosion of collectible card games, but I didn't expect it in 2020. I actually expected it closer in 2021 or 2022 because there's been cycles. You've done your history. If you look at the graph, you'll see there's peaks and then falls and peaks and falls. And we were due for the next peak and fall. And they actually correlate not just to collectible card games. There's a cycle between RPGs, board games, miniatures, and collectible card games. If you follow the trends in all of those, you'll see that there's a pattern that's emerging where I think it's every five to 10 years, each game gets its own boost of uh, influencers, a boost of new games coming to the market. Uh, and the 
a collectible card game got expedited because of COVID, uh, because now people can't play any game of all those genres. No games are playable. But which one is still worth investing into? There's only one, and that's collectible card games. Uh, and so let alone was it the only option. It's also got its own boost by very popular YouTuber uh, who really made it that all of a sudden these cards, which were worth, you know, they're worth a pretty penny back in the day, but now they're worth insane amounts. Uh, so a lot of things kind of shifted in that way. I knew this wave was coming. So even though when I started the game, everyone was telling me, don't go into the space. Do not do this. This is a complete waste of time. I was like, this wave is going to come and I want to be ready for it. I want to be, when this wave hits, I want to be able to say people, I have years of experience compared to the new competitors coming out now who only have, you know, a few months. I have been designing Genesis, Genesis for nearly 20 years. I have been on the market for four years. I have, uh, I have used my education and actually tailored my bachelor's degree into being successful in this space. I have worked with amazing mentors, one of them being like the director of projects for Loblaws. Uh, he is my mentor, business mentor, and he mentors other startups. So we have a very business focused uh, strategy. And I want to come into the space saying, I have a pedigree that is tailored for doing the best that I can possibly do in this space. Uh, and that's why I think we are worth investing into compared to some of our competitors. So let's just pull out a few things there. First of all, uh, if anybody, there's a big conversation in the TCG space at the moment about who is behind the game. And you've just answered the question, who are the people behind Genesis? This isn't a startup team that has just Put themselves together in this sort of COVID bubble. This is again somebody who's learned from experience, somebody who is talking and having conversations, and somebody who isn't actually creating a TCG, but creating a company that can handle managing a TCG. And although those things seem similar, those are two completely different beasts. Like if we look at the history, and this is not the podcast to go into this, but we can look how Wizards of the Coast was forced to grow and shed weight in the 1995-1996 era after the boom of magic initially. Now, let's just drop back back and, and, and go into that maybe another time. But there is another thing I want to call out. You saw it coming, and I I look at this every few days, but I have quite a presence on Twitter. I'm not really on any other social media, but I have a saved tweet from, I believe it was like maybe January, 2020. It was just after the previous year's hobby games numbers were published. And I saw that this collectible card game thing was changing. Like my perspective previous to looking at these numbers was collectible card games was sort of in a rut. Like I really didn't have the perspective on the cycles until this. And this was really interesting because I saw that the hobby industry was basically being held up by collectible games and there was only three that were relevant. And that cannot stay that way. Eventually something is going to change. And what I did is I wrote out this whole tweet, 43%. You know, I have a lot of people who follow me that are actual like publishers of companies like AEG and stuff like that. And I was going to like, it's an impassioned plea about like, please put the time into this genre. It will come back around. Two months later, 2020, COVID happened. Things started to change. People started getting very scared about like the hobby game space in general. Everything got dropped. Uh, my tweet stayed the same and I just didn't, never really had the right wording for it. Um, but all of a sudden, this thing changed over the course of that time. And here we are, like you said, it's been accelerated. And this has been a really fascinating case study for the history of collectible games. Now, 
going through that, like I want to sort of talk about what it was like sort of navigating that as a leader of a company that creates a collectible card game in this time where it went from, oh, collectible card games are going to be, you know, going away. Local game stores are something that is suffering because people can't go and play at them. You know, a lot of these places are, you know, we call them local game retailers or stores, but they're really venues for people to enjoy the games that they love. And then, you know, the retail part really comes second when you think about it in so many ways. So I was just wondering how you felt about that sort of 18 months, 12 months, uh, 18 months to 24 month time period. And also like, how have you changed Genesis in between those times? Like what was 29, uh, sorry, 2020 January's uh, Asad doing with Genesis versus what uh, the, the Asad is going into Genesis's November, 2021. So back in January of 2020, we had, we were staying the course of a very slow growth. Uh, one thing that people always call us out on is like, how come they didn't hear about us until now? How come uh, we're not very present in a lot of local game stores? We were doing a very slow growth because we needed to scale according to our capacity. And our capacity required us to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with all local game stores because at that time, local game stores were not interested in taking the risk on a card game that was not battle-tested in their community. So we had to work with each game, each store independently to host open houses, to talk to their community, to find a community champion who could then grow the community and host weekly events. Uh, that required a lot of manpower. And at that time, it was just me who was doing that. So I was on the road six days a week, uh, usually leaving around 11 or noon uh, in the morning and then coming back around 11 or midnight every single day. And I was going to every single local game store who was carrying Genesis, sitting down with their community, hosting their weeklies or doing open houses, and then uh, working with the community to find a community leader. That was within our means. Uh, and then when COVID hit, we realized that a lot, of, a lot of these local game stores were closing down their play space. They still needed to maintain these relationships. So I'd still call them regularly, see how they're doing, check in, see if there's anything I can do to support them. Uh, I was promoting them the best I can. Actually, the first thing we did when COVID hit and everyone was looking for Genesis to play at home is we shut down our e-commerce site. Uh, we stopped selling directly to the players and we told every player to start buying from the local game store uh, because we need the local game stores more than they need us. Uh, that will always be the case. So if we ever start saying, no, we can bypass the local game stores, we've already lost the race. Uh, we've lost the entire equation at that point. So... Uh, we shut down our e-commerce. We pulled everything of our own product off of Amazon and eBay. And we started directing everyone to the local game stores. And that took a huge hit. But what it did was it turned around and all the players say to us, hey, I want to commit more to your Patreon page now. And we were able to create larger tiers. And we saw at the beginning of COVID a huge spike in our Patreon numbers uh, because we were telling everyone to support the local game stores and they wanted to find a way to support us back. So it was a community. It was a community that was about that um, 
that ecosystem of support the local game source, support, uh, supporting the local game source, supporting the publishers, and we all survive together. As you know, people might be watching this and stuff like that. You guys really did turn around and support the local game store. You know, there's a lot of companies at the moment who say that they support the local game store, but actions speak louder than words. And unfortunately, we don't see that sort of congruence with some of these other companies who are pushing in more digital sales spaces. Whereas you taking things off Amazon, other companies might be putting it on Amazon. Now, I really love that because even where I live at the moment, it's it's rather remote. And I have seen Genesis uh, pop up in my local space. So I'm so excited to see a community grow up around that. And like I said, you may not even know it's there, but it's, it's, it's now part of the community. When you went from driving from stores for 12 hours a day to, to this thing where it's, it's, it's organically growing and word of mouth is spreading. I'm really, really happy with that. So let's talk about community because you brought it up there for a second. And one of the biggest things that has sort of shaped your community in the last sort of six months, and I think it's going to be a big threshold moment for Genesis, is the recent championship. I mentioned it in the intro, and you guys have just done this fabulous, very professional-looking uh, tournament of sorts where your whole community got together and was able to play in person. Tell me about how that came about. Tell me about what you felt about it. How did it feel? Did it feel elating after all of this work that you put in? Tell me all about the championship 2021. It was something way beyond what I was originally planning or expecting. But there were so many little issues that kind of came about. But the championship itself has a bit of a history because when we first launched, uh, so in 2018, when we celebrated the company's first anniversary, we did a small little booster draft of Heads or Tails. And it was a lot of fun, great community that was there. But everyone who was there was either a member of Heads or Tails, or one of my close personal friends. There weren't people who were there to compete. Everyone who was there was really just there to support the game. When we did our first championship in 2019, half the people were there to compete for the grand prize of $1,000. <laughs> and they were they were excited about that, but they were half the people were there to compete. And then there were half of the people who did not care if they won or lost. They were just purely there for uh, to support me. Uh, and then this time around, a lot of the people who were there were actual competitors. And that was a really cool shift for me because now majority of the people, the prize pool was solid enough is $10,000 across all the top tiers, uh, including an alpha booster box that went to the person who won first and being able to make a champion to go into the a future set. Uh, so he'll make his own character and create backstory and everything for them. Uh, so having all that, uh, there, it was really cool seeing people come together to compete. But the thing that made the championship really, really special to me was it was hosted on November 20th. My birthday is actually November 21st. So it was the next day. The company's birthday is November 23rd. That was the day the company was registered. In reality, and this was the thing that I told uh, the event organizers who helped make the event so polished and so clean, is that we wanted the event to feel like a really cool party that also had a championship in it compared to a championship event that just happened to have other celebrations around it. It was an event, so, not yeah. just a tournament. Our big thing was instead of making the event purely focused on competing and playing Genesis, there was more above and beyond that. That's amazing. So I encourage anybody watching this and I'll probably link the couple of videos in the description, but go on and watch some of the videos from this cha championship. It was it was amazing just to see the community. You can feel the excitement from these people who have just been unable to play collectible card games come together in this like almost niche like 
Genesis, you know, it isn't Magic Gathering, it isn't Yu-Gi-Oh, it isn't Pokemon, it is its own little thing. It's like a you-know-it-if-you-know-it type thing. And watching these people come together who have never met almost as friends already just because Genesis existed, I strongly recommend you check that out. So by all means, uh, I will link that in the description. And, and please, if you've got the time, just flick through the videos. It's just amazing to watch. And, and as, as Asad said, it is, it is a really beautiful venue and it is great to just see that energy. And in fact, you even launched, uh, well, announced things like the Kickstarter in that sort of moment. Um, you know, you gave details about it and everything like that. So I guess that sort of brings us to the future the, of, of, of Genesis. But before we sort of get there, I do have a question. How do you feel not only about like this change in the TCG space, just generally like you as a fan of collectible card games, as I said in the intro, you're obviously very passionate about the genre and all these new content creators that are finding your game. Like just give me a bit of a summary about how you're feeling in this moment. Like I think the most um, surreal moment is really when I see content creators interviewing other people of the community and talking to them about Genesis. Because now the game has finally grown beyond me. It's not just my game anymore. It is the player's game. It is the community's game. And when they're talking to each other about the meta. Or they're talking to each other about their favorite cards. It's a really powerful feeling. Because it reminds me that over time. I do need to step into the shadows some more. I'm doing a lot of these interviews now. I'm connecting with a lot of the content creators. But I'm not the person that these content creators should be connecting with. It is the community. It is the people who have brought so much life to this project. Uh, and they're the ones who should get a lot more spotlight put onto them. So it is amazing seeing that shift happen. I'm really excited uh, about just the next little while. I remember all spontaneously flipping through YouTube and seeing someone who I've never seen carry co uh, make content about Genesis being like, hey, I just found this game. I'm going to start making videos about it. It was a really cool feeling because it's organic. It's not like we're going out there. None of the content creators who have made anything related to Genesis has been incentivized to do so. Um, we have talked to some people being like, hey, would you be interested in making content around this game? But they've never been like, okay, you got to pay us money to do it. You got to send us product. They've always been like, this seems really awesome. Let me create my own video. I'm like, oh, if you're going to create a video, let me send you stuff first. So you have actual product in your hand. Uh, they've never asked for it, right? So uh, it, it's really cool seeing that shift to uh, us reaching out to the content creators to now the cre content creators taking the ball and just running with it. So really cool dynamic shift. I'm really excited for how that happened. I mean, even how we connected was, uh, I remember going to my stand-up with the team the next day and telling them the story of you sending me the email and everyone just kind of being blown away. They're like, wow, like that just happened. I'm like, yeah, that happens. <laughs> it's a really cool feeling. Or like the other day I was out uh, grocery shopping with my wife and Damian, our art director, and uh, we're just in the car and... I get a phone call, I answer it, and it's this random fan of the game who call, found my cell phone number on the website because it's there. Um, and they called me to tell me, hey, I'm looking to find a place to buy cards. I directed them on where they can find it. And they're like, oh, I love your game. It is so awesome. And they went on uh, explaining how much they enjoy Genesis. And after the, we hung up the call, my wife and the uh, Demian turned to me and they're like, that was a really cool moment. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that is amazing that people are finding this game on their own and they're actually uh, growing the community out of love for the game. Not a, uh, I'm here to collect the game, I'm here to invest into the game. It's about 
I'm here to play the game. And I love that feeling. So that's definitely some really surreal experiences that I've had in the past little while. And I honestly think we're in a unique time period for Genesis. I feel like as we move into the future, Genesis is going to go to a new level. Where, you know, what that holds, you know, maybe you said that there wasn't these people investing. Maybe that comes up in the next couple of weeks. Maybe not. Like there's a Kickstarter coming. That is something in a very hot kind of conversation topic. But ultimately, what I heard from you say then is, in the last little while, it's gone from Assad's Genesis to you becoming Genesis's Assad. Like, you know, it, the game is growing up around you and you're, you're starting to see the traction that you so desperately wanted. And I honestly think of all the new games that, well, not that Genesis is new, but of all the games that are sort of alternative TCGs at the moment, Genesis has a traction that I don't think anybody else can offer. And I, and I love it. And I just want to say thank you and congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so now that we're talking about it, let's sort of unearth it. Kickstarter. It is a wild world in world of TCGs at the moment. And, and Kickstarter is where it seems to be all happening. So tell me about why there hasn't been a Genesis Kickstarter in the past. Surely it's something that you've considered. Uh, and why are we pivoting to it now? Go on. Tell me all about it. I mean, I would love to dig into the history of TCGs and Kickstarters. And I think that's something you and I would love to do. But let's stay focused on Genesis. Um, so the reason why I didn't do Kickstarter for Genesis, and this is a reason why I also didn't take a lot of investment money in the early days, is my mentor, he said, if you're going to take investment dollars from someone, make sure you can answer the question of what are you going to use this money for? And if the answer is, I need money to keep my company afloat, that's kind of a bad answer because then your investor owns you. You need them more than they need you. If your answer is, I need to put money into marketing and we've never, uh, then the thing is you're now telling your investors, Hey, I'm going to use your money to make mistakes. I'm going to use your money to experiment with. And that's also a bad answer because then you're going to be tied to that investor being like, where's my return on the investment? Where's it coming back from? Uh, so we did not take Kickstarter at the beginning because I knew that I was going to make a lot of growing pain mistakes as the company expanded uh, using the manufacturer. One of the stories I love to tell people is if you do not explicitly tell your manufacturer that you need the cards randomized in booster packs, they won't randomize them. So if you ever open up a beta booster pack of Genesis, you'll now know why the cards are in sequential order. <laughs> Because if you don't say it explicitly, they won't do it. <laughs> so that was a wonderful experience. And I could just imagine all the mistakes I made in beta, welcome to Jalara, raise, even the reprinting of Jalara second edition. Uh, it was all those mistakes doing it on someone else's dollar, let alone is that a bad thing to do. I would also just feel extremely guilty. I started my company uh, for those who start the company off of investors dollars. You don't understand how critical those mistakes are because every time I make a mistake with the set, that's my money. It's like going to the grocery store, buying meat that's gone bad, and then them being like, well, we told you it, it could go bad. Like, it, this is your fault, right? So if it's your own dollars, you don't feel as bad about it. But I mean, you feel really bad about it. When it's someone else's dollars, the risk isn't there, right? It adds another dimension to the to the mistake, really. Exactly. Uh, so 
we stayed away from it. And then on top of that, our original, original, original plan was to go to Kickstarter. Uh, we had everything laid out. And I spent months researching the TCG Kickstarter relationship. And it's not relatively positive. <laughs> Up until this year, there have not been many collectible card games that have done well on the, the Kickstarter space. And those who have, have not seen very bright futures post-Kickstarter. Uh, and we have we stayed away from it for a long time. Now the world has changed. Between MetaZoo and Flesh and Blood, the entire collectible card game space has now changed forever. Uh, and we are at a point where I know that if we got investment dollars from the community, uh, we would know how to use it. And Patreon has trained me for that because Patreon is where we have what I call micro investors, people who are giving not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they've given quite a bit of money to make sure the company succeeds. So I've learned what it's like to have investors who are on you all the time, but what's happening with my dollars, right? Uh, and then on top of that, the relationship between Kickstarter and collectible card games changed because of MetaZoo. And it's not absurd for a collectible card game to be on Kickstarter. So these are the big reasons why we changed. It was us learning and for the time being right. Uh, on top of that, we had who some people who have had the company's best interests at heart for a very long time now uh, and who want to see it succeed. They reached out to us and said, now's the time. Now's the time you got to do it because uh, they saw the trend changing a little bit before us. Uh, they made us pivot and or at least take it into consideration. And we made the pivot ourselves. But the nice part about them was that they didn't force us to do it. They weren't saying to us, you have to do this or then you won't succeed as a company. They're like, I think this is the right move for you. Do your own research. And when you come back to us saying that this is what you want to do, we're here to support you. But if you come back to us saying this isn't what you want to do, we'll support you regardless. Uh, so having people in your corner like that also made the conversation a lot more uh transparent and a lot easier to digest so what i'm hearing there is again you know we're going to go back to what we said earlier about you guys having the experience of five years have made your mistakes have have released your sequential booster packs you know you've done all those sort of moments and now you're ready to go into this next step that the, the world is sort of seeing at the moment and other kickstarters don't have that sort of experience behind them but the other thing you just mentioned there is not only that but you have a professional support network as well to get advice from to you know uh lean on if you have queries and stuff like that whereas i don't believe others in this space are going to really be able to leverage in the same way. Now, I guess that sort of leads me to my next question. And of course, if this isn't something that, uh, you know, you really want to talk about or anything, or it's not even something that you even considered, we can cut it. But my question is, did you, as you're preparing this Kickstarter, you know, it's about to go live. Did you reach out to anybody who had seen success in the recent times on Kickstarter in the trading card game space for advice or consultation? No, that's actually... Uh... That's a really interesting point. No, we didn't. Um, part of it is, so when it comes to success on Kickstarter, that's different. Our lead game designer, Alex Miller, his wife has uh, built an entire business around launching Kickstarters and being successful on that front. Uh, we've leaned on a lot of people who have uh, supported Kickstarters, who have been in the conversation. We even hired a uh, team to help us put together the concept of how the Kickstarter should be built, how the marketing should be done, 
we invested onto that side. But as for the other TCTs that have gone on Kickstarter and have been successful, uh, I haven't reached out to them. There's actually a very interesting relationship between a TCG designers where they I've had really poor luck being able to connect with other TCG designers. Uh, they seem to be f- pretty closed. But if any of them are hearing this, I would love to connect with you, have a coffee and talk about design principles. Like we should not be a closed Nick community, a closed off community. We should be connecting with each other and welcoming others into the space. The problem is unlike in the board game space where uh, if someone's done playing your game, they will go play another game. And that's the status quo in the TCG space. You want players dedicated towards your game and holding on to it with uh, dear life and never playing any other card game. I've always been of the philosophy that Genesis was, for a lot of players, it's their secondary hobby. So they're playing Magic and then they want to break from Magic to play Genesis. They're playing Warhammer, they need a break from that to play Genesis. There are some people who Genesis is their primary, uh, and we started seeing those people at, at the championship a lot more. But for years, we were people's secondary hobby. Uh, hobby. We weren't people's primary. So I'm used to that. And that's why I would love to talk to other of those designers for sure. Yeah. Well, I hope in this new era that we're sort of approaching, people can respect that a little bit more because that's how we grow, right? Like that's how we grow and connect. And that's, you know, really the inspiration behind a show like this where I'm talking to people who have created this so that we can have something on record. Um, Now, let's just pivot for a second. Again, that is a very interesting point and again, could chew up another hour of conversation. But I do want to talk about, you know, contemporary collectible card games on Kickstarter. Uh, Something is very evident if you look at the numbers from these last sort of three to six months, you know, before, you know, MetaZoo came in and stuff like that, things like, I don't want to drop any names, but actually I'm going to. Uh, D Spirits, we've got Grand Archive, we've got Nostalgics. All of those are following a very similar pattern and are in a very similar space. It does appear that the average investment in those is close to $1,000 per backer, which is very abnormal on Kickstarter. A lot of times in the board game space, your basic tier or whatever your most sort of relevant tier is basically where most people get in on. That's not the case in the collectible game space. What seems to be happening is the highest tiers that can sometimes be as upwards of five figures are getting snapped up as soon as the Kickstarter launches. So that brings us to another part of the conversation that collectible card games are in at the moment, where it's whale investment. Now that term, if you're not familiar with it, is basically somebody who comes in and is going to, almost like an angel investor, is, is going to throw a lot of money at it because they have little to lose, but a lot to gain, especially considering what we've seen from collectible card games selling for, you know, six to 10 to 20 to 40 times X their current, you know, their, their original purchase price in the recent months, things like Flesh and Blood, you mentioned MetaZoo earlier. Um, how do you feel as a creator and somebody who has been in the trenches of the TCG world for the last four to five years almost about this phenomenon of the whale investor and, and how is the Kickstarter for Genesis going to approach that? So when I it's such a difficult topic because I don't want to offend anyone. But at the same time, I got to stay true to my gut. Uh, I have a mantra that I have right behind me on a whiteboard and says, we make games that are collectibles, not a collectible that is a game. Uh, our philosophy, when I first came into the space and I started talking to a lot of content creators and really trying to hype up uh, Genesis, they were saying that uh, 
I, I would be clear on we designed a game that is for the players with some collectability into it. We did not design this game for investors. Uh, and maybe that was... Um, it's, it's a weird approach. Uh, and I don't see a lot of the games leaning towards that these days. So I... I focused really hard on making the game accessible for players. I when we did our welcome our JLR second edition print uh, product run, uh, we made it that when you buy a booster box, you get so many versions of the some of the most meta relevant cards. Like we actually, when we were looking at how to make some of the cards more accessible, we had like empty slots in our uh, sheets, and we were choosing which cards to appear more often in booster packs. We picked the ones that were more meta relevant. That's always been our philosophy is the more meta relevant it is, the more copies of those cards you should be getting. Uh, we wanted the game to be played first. Then we started adding some collectability. The foils are in there and I've seen people chase down the foils. We have epic rares, which are extended art versions of regular rares. We've I've seen people chase those down. I haven't seen anyone invest into Genesis yet. And if you're going to invest into it, Invest into it because of the length and history of the company. That's what I tell people is it's not like, uh, you know, some of those stocks where, you know, you buy it and then you flip it over in a month to make a huge amount of profit. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people who, when you're talking about investing into it, you're going to get a box of beta or a box of alpha, hold on to it for three to five years, and then there'll be some value out of that. So we saw that with the alpha boxes where... When I first had them on the market, I could barely even sell them. Now, uh, the packs, two years ago, an individual pack was worth about $50. Now we're seeing the entire box being worth $5,000. It grows in value as a company grows. And it's in correlation with the strength of our foundation and the strength of the company that the product has seen value. Not the uh, not from a forced scarcity, a forced hype of the product, uh, not to call out our competitors in any way. It's just if you are looking for those short, short-term gains, you're looking at a short-term growth. But if you're looking for the long-term gains, you're looking to be in it for a long time. I want a company that is still competing in this space 5, 10, 15, 50 years from now. I want this company to outlive me, right? And to do that, it is about building a foundation. And the foundation is around the LGSs and the players, not around the investors. They will go wherever the money is. Not around the collectors because they will come and go as they find collectability in the game. But the players, they're the ones who stay in the game for a long term. The LGSs, they're the ones who build your foundation. These are the people to invest into. The content creators are also extremely valuable because they're the ones who create, uh, take those remote communities and bring them together in one digital space. Don't, uh, if, don't build your foundation on investors. Build your foundation on the players. So I completely agree. Um, and we're seeing something that's completely converse to that at the moment. Um, obviously, we're seeing things like, you know, you said just then that, you know, there's a box of, of alpha or whatever that's worth several many dollars because of these 
forces that are coming into the industry at the moment. And, you know, I had, you know, shameless self plug, but I had an episode with uh, a content creator. I know you're familiar with Bronson. We talked about this sort of thing, like what can happen with these sort of things that he is very, very um, bullish on, on, um, on Genesis, because you guys sat down, you talked and he understood that this is where you've come from. You haven't come out of nowhere, not to discredit those games, not to discredit anyone who has popped up and succeeded in any way. Obviously they have their whole future to write, but you've already written part of this story. You're not on chapter one, you're on chapter 10 at this point. Like you've got something behind you. And I'm, I'm really, really happy to see that. The other thing is there is a certain content creator here uh, on, on the digital platform that that talks about this sort of thing that a lot of these investors follow and he is preaching the same message you just said but his but other people are believing other things you know invest in the long term and that's why i believe genesis is going to be something that we're going to see in the next five ten years still be something that's around and and, and like i said i'm not sure what the future holds for other games but i do believe that your dedication your work and and ultimately uh the experience and the support network that you've been able to develop over these last few years is something that I think is going to be steadfast in your in your uh, growth as a company. And, I, and I'm really excited. So actually, can I insert one thing? Um, when it comes to their competitors, and I, if any of them watch this, hear this, I want it to be very clear is that I want more competition in the space. I, as an industry, we need brilliant people coming into the space and competing against those large companies because if we didn't have those competitions, where would we be without the iPhone and Android phones taking down BlackBerry? Like this is essential, and I, uh, I think it's necessary. But the your foundation of your business should not be based around short-term gains. It has to be built around long-term gains. So I just want to be very clear about that. I, I just I feel really bad when people attack the competition because we don't know which one of them actually has that strong business sense behind them. They may be playing the short-term game right now just to get the capital for a much larger plan, right? And I those who are doing that, 100%, you got my support. Uh, but those who are just purely just trying to get the money from the Kickstarter and then release a inferior product just to have the profit margins i i wish you the best <laughs> <laughs> i truly believe we haven't seen anything like that yet but again if i you know plug and I'll, I'll link it in the description my episode with bronson does sort of devolve into that that at some point somebody will will start to have you know less than admirable sort of excitement around that space and and the thing i sort of wanted to pull out there was obviously you know You've sort of said there that that I don't know really how to say this, but uh, you know there is that there is that faith that people need to have, obviously in in Genesis as a whole. So let's let's sort of talk about what your plan is moving forward. Like you've got, you know, you mentioned before when you first started Genesis, you had a five year plan. From this point, which I believe is going to be a changing point for you guys, what is your five year plan moving forward? So my five year plan has. Actually, my 10-year plan has always stayed the same. When I started this company and people were talking about what is my goal and how am I going to approach this, I told them the key here is that you cannot compete product versus product. It is not a conversation of Genesis versus Magic or Genesis versus Flesh and Blood or anything like that. It is a conversation of company versus company, Haunted Castle Gaming versus Hasbro, 
because that is a competition that we can really talk about. And there can be wins that I can take that Hasbro cannot purely because of their size and their business philosophies. Uh, and that's where I'm at. My goal has always been, I want to walk onto stage and compete against Hasbro as a company. And where we're on our track, to be honest, we are way further than I had ever anticipated when it comes to the game. Um, yes, some of our release cycles were slow, but I expected them to be much slower. Uh, every step of the way, wherever I set my goals to, like JLR's second edition, when it hit the market, we expected that product to be in our warehouse for three to six months. So we had planned the reprint to happen about three months later. It was gone within seven days. Like out of our warehouse, we sold out within seven to eight days. Uh, it was a crazy, crazy turnaround. So the community has really been supportive, which is wonderful. Our big thing right now is to deal with the same crisis that all our competitors are facing, which is paper. Um, paper is the biggest issue and we are using it way too recklessly. Uh, I am seeing the request that the community has for what we should be designing as a product is in no way or is not taking into consideration the environmental factors when it comes to everything. Uh, the paper that we know explicitly what papers are costing us, but are you also taking into consideration the amount of fuel that's used to transport that paper around the world? Because Canada has the lumber. Canada does not create the paper. Canada takes the lumber, sends it to Europe. They create the paper and then we buy it back. We are shipping all that on boats overseas. There is a fuel cost here. There is so much. And then shipping the product to all those local game stores. Uh, it is not Eco like environmentally friendly, what this industry is doing. So when it's just it's such a difficult. I think I divulged into a topic that has nothing to do with the question you asked. Well, let's just stop there for a second because I do want to call out a couple of things there. First of all, the first point you started to make was yes, you going back to my January twenty twenty tweet, still sitting in my save tweets. There is great opportunity here. This needs to be disruptive. Like you said, this needs to be mm -hmm. Apple versus BlackBerry, Apple versus Nokia. We need to yes. sort of shed the weight of these sort of giants and be able to offer something that people want. Now, going in, this is something I'm super passionate about and something that I really despise about the collectible card game industry. Right now, you are seeing a emphasis on scarcity and rarity box breaks you know mm -hmm. content creation is something that has grown up over the last couple of years that is so valuable and basically what that means is that people are opening cases like the conversation yeah. is about opening a case it used to be in the 90s about opening a booster pack then it was about opening a booster box and now it is about opening a booster case that is generating every yes. single time you have artificial scarcity in a collectible card game you have a massive amount of bulk that's generated that yes. is completely disregarded by the rest of the community yes. sure there's some groups that uh, i'm sorry i'm off on a topic now um there <laughs> is a there is a absolute disgusting amount of economic and and environmental resources being wasted on collectible mm. card games because people are doing one in every thousand boxes. Yes. You know, there's 
there's cards that are limited to 100. And even Magic the Gathering with their secret layers have gotten in and out recently. And yes, Flesh and Blood is doing paper booster packs and Magic the yeah. Gathering is pushing towards more environmentally friendly packaging. But that isn't part of the problem. Like you said, we're, yes. doing, we're shipping stuff across the ocean. We're shipping stuff uh, to China to, to get made into paper. You know, we're not actually doing it. And that is actually having an adverse effect yep. on the world around us. And that is something that I really find very hard to reconcile the art of artificial scarcity of collectible yes. card games and the environment around us because yes. those two things are not congruent and not something yeah. that i'm very passionate about like you've got to open millions of it i'm yeah. gonna stop myself <laughs> i'm gonna take a breath you've really set uh, me off there but it is, uh, so this is a conversation we could talk about yeah. for years like how do you make a environmentally yeah. responsible trading card game is something i've been trying to answer for years doesn't and matter let's go back to what you were talking about so uh there's a lot of design principles that we talk about this is part of the reason why if you buy a booster box, not a booster case, just a single box of Genesis, you for beta, JLR second edition, and all sets moving forward, you will get one copy of every functional uh, playing piece. That's what we call them. Every playing piece uh, in that box. So one copy of every single rare, one copy of every single uncommon, because those are the pieces you need to play the game they should not be scarce for you. So the one thing I dislike the most are card games that make functionally unique cards that are meta relevant and make them scarce to sell more product. So that frustrates me because now you're saying that for the average player to be competitive, they have to spend a lot of money, create a lot of bulk and kind of ruin the value of what, of the commons and uncommons in the game just to stay competitive. So we if we change that philosophy. We are trying to do things on a game design level. We are working with our manufacturers on a manufacturing level to do all this. And I did a post about this when we were printing J2, uh, which was about how we switched to a new printer that is carbon neutral. And when I was talking to them, they gave me all the paperwork. And if I if anyone ever asks me, I can show them the paperwork that proves that the machines we use were carbon neutral. Uh, there's there's so much about this that is very, very difficult. And uh, I don't agree with how the games move towards, uh, how the industry is moved, because people with a lot of money came in and said that this industry needs to do these things to make us more money. Uh, there's been a sacrifice of our morals very uh, slowly over time. There's definitely been a sacrifice on our morals about the game. So when we go back to the Kickstarter, this is where all the topics came from. Sorry about that. This is where all the topics came from. Going back to the Kickstarter, what are we doing when it comes to players versus collectors versus investors? One is that we are not cap capping the number of copies of um, Kickstarter boxes we're going to make. We'll print them to demand based on how many there are out there. So there can't be someone who comes in and says, oh, there's only 500 boxes. I'm going to buy all 500. No, we're not doing that. Because the game is the Kickstarter boxes are meant to be opened and played with. I want to see people play with the Kickstarter commons, uncommons, and rares at the next championship. I want to see that. And I always give a pat on the back to anyone who plays with their foils or anything like that. Pokemon actually has does this in a really, really great way. If you ever play Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Go or the Pokemon video games, they have the shiny Pokemons, which are super difficult to find. If you do not have a collection of all the shiny Pokemons, uh, you are not seen as a terrible Pokemon trainer. It's just like, yeah, that's really hard to do. And if you do it, it's like kudos. 
but it's not necessary for the enjoyment of the game. Uh, and you should appreciate the ones you have, not be hunting down the ones you don't have. Uh, and I think they created a really good philosophy around that. And that's what I'm trying to do is that the things that are worth value in Genesis are not functionally unique. You don't need them to play the game. So we created the uh, the Kickstarter product is for the players. There is a part to it that is for the collectors, something unique they can chase down and enjoy. Nothing about the Kickstarter is inherently designed for investors. We are not trying to do that. Um, we created some packages that are limited, but the reason why they're limited has nothing to do with the investment. It's uh, So we're creating two packages, one of them for content creators and one of them for local game stores, where they can actually get a promo of a card that already exists in Origins. It's not a functionally unique card, but they can get a promo made that has their uh, logo or watermarked onto it. So they have now a promo that they can give away to their community. And that's just because we can only make a certain amount of these promos, so we have to limit them. But we are... Um, that's and then uh, even if you can't get that bundle as a content creator or as a retail store, there's a, a equivalent bundle that you can get that just doesn't have that promo. So I I don't want to make something that is geared towards investors because we never know when the investors are going to disappear from this industry, and we know they will. They always have. Uh, so when they do, we want to make sure that as a company we are still stable. We still have a strong player base. We still have uh, local game stores that are carrying a game because it's profitable to them and they enjoy carrying it. So these are a lot of the things that I think about. <laughs> so yeah, you are 100% right. The investors are going to leave at some point. So let's just talk about a few other things in the trading card game space that, that is relevant to the conversation nowadays. Like there's a couple of things that are happening that it, it really is changing from where you and I, you know, really understand where the collectible card game market is. There's, there's a lot of things like... Um, Magic's commander format has become a new thing where it's a multiplayer thing. Is that something that Genesis wants to do? The other thing I want to call out is a player versus environment that is a really big part of the conversation nowadays um, for collectible games and all sorts of games. And the other thing is something a little bit more, um, what's the word, maybe controversial uh, that other games are doing is NFTs, speaking of acronyms. So tell me of those three things, like what does Genesis plan to approach? Got big answers for those. Um, okay, so first, Commander, uh, it was when it first was introduced as um, EDH, Elder Dragon Highlander, it was awesome. I love the fact that it was a, a community built format that they defined the rules and everything. Wizards stepping in and redefining it, creating a ban list for it, but not sanctioning it. I don't know how I feel about these things. So when it comes to multiplayer and community made stuff, 100% I support it. And I want the community to be exploring it and defining it themselves. Because uh, one of the things that I love about games as a whole, especially board games versus video games, is that you can make up your own rules and just have everyone adhere to it. Like if you're playing a video game version of Monopoly, you can't just make up your own rules. You have to adhere to what the video game tells you to do. But when you're playing tabletop version, you could be like, yeah, and if you land on the railroad, you could transport yourself to any <laughs> of the other railroads. Like, as long as everyone agrees to it, you can do it. And that's what I would love about, uh, that's what I used to do all the time in collectible card games. Like, we played yep. Overpower. We used to make our own Street Fighter characters and put them into <laughs> Overpower. 
or made I, our own Sailor Moon characters and put them into overpower. Uh, why do I want people to do that for Genesis? And I see that uh, I'm starting to see that now. And if that occurs, I have no plans on commandeering that from the community. I want them to, if anything, I'll promote it and I'll direct people to the community made website or communication post for that. I don't think it is necessary for the company to be like, oh, you're doing something with our IP, with our product. No, Mm -hmm. I want a piece of the pie. Uh, I don't think that's correct. And then the issue you get into there is the more formats that your booster packs have to support, the harder it is to make booster packs that actually work for anything. This is Mm -hmm. what we saw in Magic when they started making booster packs that supported modern, uh, standard, and commander. All of a sudden, you got cards that broke standard or were absurd and modern. Uh, You had all these issues kind of show up. It's one of those, yes, the cell phone is amazing because it could do everything. But sometimes it's important to just have a watch because it won't die on you at any time. Have Mm -hmm. things that are dedicated to the purpose. So that's my philosophy on that. And as for multiplayer and casual, 100%, one of my favorite formats to play in Genesis is called Terrain, where it's a Mm -hmm. multiplayer format. You extend the board by a certain amount of squares. And for each square you extend it by, you put a piece of Warhammer Terrain on a random spot on the board. And now that spot is considered empty. So you have the same functional number of squares, but you have a Mm -hmm. map that you have to deal with. So it's kind of more like um, Fire Emblem in that way. Mm -hmm. And then the game becomes really crazy because you're pulling people over from walls to help them escape AOE damage and stuff like that. Wow. So I love that format. And then once you have the Warhammer terrain there and you're using miniatures as your characters, Mm -hmm. the photos are just awesome. (laughs) You'll have the capital T tactics collectible card game right there. Yeah. So I love that format. That's my favorite casual format. I don't publish those rules. Anyone who comes and plays with me can come and play it because I want the community to make up their own rules, make up their own formats and just play the game, play a game, right? Not just sit there and collect the cards and have them sit in a binder. You just play the game. So that's my perspective on that. As for PV, I have some really cool plans about Genesis of how we talked about all these different genres of gaming that influence Genesis. Mm-hmm. Genesis itself can then be broken down into all those different genres of gaming. So that's a bit of the future of what I'm planning to do. And PVE is definitely on that list. It's the collectible card games are designed for other hobby games like RPGs, like mm-hmm. miniatures. Uh, and we are going to be one day... Uh, expanding into those spaces in a very unique way to help us compete against products that have been established for a long time. Keep an eye out for that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, And then the last one was NFTs. Um, I am a big fan. If you're going to do something, don't just do it because it is the biggest trend. Don't just do it because you're chasing a concept. Actually have a plan around it. And my team, I've given them the opportunity to explore it and propose something to me. But it has to be done tactfully. Don't just throw it into your game. Don't throw anything into your product because it's the newest trend. Because that's what leads you down a spiral of chasing uh, chasing money and then always being too late to the party. Uh, it, there's a great book called The Art of the Start. And they talk about this where there's the flywheel versus the doom spiral. 
The flywheel is to pick a good foundation that you know works and keep on investing into it until it gets to a point where it starts churning itself, kind of like a water wheel. The water wheel, when you first try running it, it takes a lot of effort, but eventually it starts pushing itself. The momentum's yep. there. Uh, where doom spiral is where you start going down a good foundation and realize, oh, I haven't been able to make enough off of it. Let's pivot. Let's pivot mm -hmm. again. And you keep on changing your strategy, not investing into it long enough. And you eventually just see yourself spiraling down into a well of nothingness because you're chasing uh, a fantasy that's not really there. Mm -hmm. So NFTs, if my team wants to do it, I'm not going to say no, but I'm going to challenge them every step of the way to make sure that they do it correctly. It mm -hmm. was it's actually been a lot of conversations we've been having recently. And it was the same conversation with Kickstarter. If we're going to do it, are we actually doing it because it's the right thing to do? Or are we doing it just because there's a craze for it right now? Mm -hmm. And when I, that's why when I talk to people about why we're doing the Kickstarter now is because J2 has been, uh, has taken all of our learnings and put it into a product that we are actually proud to say that this is a, this is where Genesis should have started. Mm -hmm. Everything else has been a soft launch, a dry run. J2 was the correct product. Origins was always where the game was supposed to start. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is why the original game, before it was called Genesis, it was actually called Origins. Mm -hmm. So Genesis, the origin set, that is the beginning of not just the... Uh, uh, not just a core set that takes all of our learnings and puts together a really solid product, but it's also a um, the beginning of uh, where a lot of the mythology of the world starts getting explored. Mm -hmm. uh, so the NFTs, Kickstarter, any of these trends, it's not good for your business to just chase after them for the sake of chasing after them. If you're going to mm -hmm. do them, make sure it makes sense for your business model. And this is where I think a lot of people, some people have been successful and other people will crumble trying to chase the pot of gold. Absolutely. Well, um, I mean, that's fantastic advice for anybody starting any sort of business, obviously. You know, uh, you want to sort of do what you know your company can provide. And obviously, Genesis has that mindset. So um, let's wrap it up here. I got one last core question for the booster pack. Um over the time that you've had, this has been a real retrospective. You know, we've we've explored what Genesis offers a player that they can't uh, get from other games. You know, that hybrid mini sort of TCG experience and a ton of other stuff. Uh, it's really a player first driven uh, a game. But can you pinpoint or give me an example of something that is one lesson that you've learned over the past four years that will really help you propel Genesis into the next four and beyond? Like, what is the one thing that you've learned, maybe you didn't expect it or whatnot, that has really cemented something within you that you think will help you bring Genesis to really being in part of that giant conversation? Being in the startup space when you have no money at home and you are eating ramen noodles every single day, not even name brand ramen noodles, because yep. all your money is going into the company. The one lesson I learned, the one thing that has always going to propel me forward and keep things moving smoothly is learn, pivot, keep moving. Uh, whenever things fall apart, whenever you make those mistakes and you're like, oh shoot, I've ruined the entire company. You learn from that experience. You pivot your direction to a course that you know will adhere to your values, but still take those learnings into account and mm -hmm. you just keep moving. 
You mm-hmm. just keep moving forward. And that has helped me through nights when I was at local game stores for four hours and no one would sit with me to learn how to play the game. Uh, it was just a complete waste of my time. Uh, I took those learning experiences and I moved forward. So it's, I think that's the big thing that has cemented me and kept me going through the entirety of the company and will keep me going for the next four or 40 years or however long, mm-hmm. because all the CEOs I've met, the one thing that always stays true is that they they have a foundation of understanding that they're going to make mistakes and they just got to do the best they can and do whatever it takes to succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I hope that answers that question. I don't know if that was quite what you were expecting, but I love it. Let me tell you what I just heard there. I heard that there's something that you've gained over these last four years that really can't be learned in business books. It can't be learned on Kickstarter how-to forums. It can't be learned just by asking other people. That is the dedication and perseverance that you have had with Genesis. And like I said, as it goes from Assad's Genesis to you becoming Genesis as Assad and sort of making that shift where Genesis is like that water wheel that starts spinning itself, you are going to really start to see some some stuff that you're going to need to keep that perseverance. You know, you're not held up by Hasbro money. You're not held up by, you know, these giant companies. You are doing it all for yourself. And I'm so excited to see what the future has for Genesis. I'm, I, I cannot wait. And honestly, if you are watching this, jump onto the Kickstarter if it's launched already, like have a look at it, just see what it is, because this is where the real time is. So last thing to do in these episodes is actually have a little bit of fun. So let's try and do that with the Kraken question segment. Release the Kraken. So Kraken questions, you choose one of these three booster packs. They are three different colors. They've got random silly questions in them and one rare game designer question. You tell me which color you'd like me to crack open and we'll ask you the questions. Who knows what's in them? That's the thing about a booster pack. Sometimes you get good luck, sometimes you get bad. Let's find out what's going on. Red, red. We're going with red. Okay, so let's go with red right now. So in the red booster pack for Kraken questions, we have got three questions. Your first common question is do you prefer a bagel or a croissant Ooh, montreal bagels all the way all right so next question if you were in an adventure which one of these would you rather be a pirate samurai or cowboy or girl cowboy cowboys in space (laughs) that's right firefly yes that's one of my favorite shows that's great now as somebody who obviously played magic for years and maybe you're a little bit biased if you had to remove a color from magic the gathering what color would you remove green that's the that's that's the game designer answer because green sort of does what everybody else sort of does but does it bigger every other color requires a lot of finesse and tactful and like strategy and green's just like no stompy (laughs) (laughs) there's a reason it's my favorite color all right so last question in what tabletop games have influenced your work the most? Obviously, we talked about CCG, so let's take those off the table, no pun intended. What C- what tabletop game that isn't a collectible card game have influenced your work the most? So, 52 playing card decks. Okay. Uh, it is amazing how one product can do so much stuff, stand the test of times. They've been around forever. And there's so many games you can play with it. And all it is is people coming to the table and building friendships, making connections, having experiences. Mm -hmm. It is one of the 
most simplistic products on the market, but at the same time does so much for defining what a game a tabletop game is. It is mm-hmm. one of those foundational games like chess, like mm-hmm. uh, Monopoly, but it's just, it's a card game. So yeah. that has to be my answer. I love the 52 playing cards. Uh, they're just, it's just awesome. That's so amazing. So what I see about collectible card games and what makes Magic so special and, and you know, by Richard's design is that Magic the Gathering is a booster pack that supports a million different games. You know, a lot of the perspective on Magic is it's basically a gaming system that you can do whatever you want. You can do Commander, you can do Modern, you can do Legacy, you can do Booster Draft, you can do Mini Masters, you can do so much. And collectible card games, as we just talked about, whether it's uh, Terrain in uh, in Genesis, uh, it's absolutely amazing. And there is something about that magic that is captured in a collectible game because you can play it however you want. Whether it's recreating booster packs for overpower or doing anything, it's something that's so fantastic. And I and I love that conversation. And I love that. I think that's what makes collectible games not the value of the cards, not the not the you know excitement of even open the packs, but the versatility that they offer. It's anybody's game and every game differs. It's like reading a book. You know, every time somebody reads a book, they have a different image of what a character looks like in their head. And that's the way that collectible card games go. So with that, I want to say thank you so much, Asad, for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking about this. And we went so long, but I appreciate your patience and your time because there is so much to talk about. Thank you so much. They, uh, quickly before we go, just tell people where they can find everything about Genesis so that they can locate this fantastic game. So Genesis BOC is our tag. So genesisboc.com, Facebook slash Genesis BOC, YouTube, you could look up Genesis BOC. That's everything. Uh, and then hopefully by the time this comes out, we'll be up on Kickstarter as well. So a lot of places to look up Genesis Battle of the Champions. Uh, yeah. That's the big thing. Well, I hope that there is going to be a brand new uh, generation of people discovering Genesis Battle of Champions. And I hope at some point we'll be able to get back together and talk about where it is from the roadmap that we're at at the moment. So again, thank you so much. Everything that we've just mentioned, uh, whether it's Genesis related or not, will be linked in the description. We will find it all. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, From me, goodbye from me. Goodbye from you, Asan. Bye-bye. All right, and that's it. Thank you so much for joining us on the Booster Pack. And remember, until next time, keep shuffling. And there you have an episode all about Genesis Battle of Champions with its creator, Asad Karashi. And thank you so much to Asad for sharing those stories. I truly believe that Genesis is going to be one of those games that is going to be around for a long time, just because of the due diligence he has put in to creating this game over the last few years. And I cannot wait to see what the Kickstarter holds for that game. Now, by all means, find that linked in the description below if it's already live by the time you're watching this. And also find all the other Genesis links linked down there as well. Now, as for me, I have been Rands, and this has been the Booster Pack by CCG History. You can find us on social media. That is by facebook.com slash CCG History, or where I'm much more active on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash CCG History. That's where we post stuff every single day. Now, other than that, you can also find linked in the description as well, our survey for listeners, where you can jump on and let us know what you think and everything like that. Uh, And you can sort of contribute to the show. You can tell me what you want to hear about as far as topics or even games. And you could also make suggestions and sort of tell us what sort of things that you're looking to hear on this show. 
Now, the other thing is, if you want to send us a message more long form, you could also find our email address down there as well. That is theboosterpack at ccghistory.com. And you can shoot me an email about pretty much anything else, whether that's a story you have, whether that's a game you want to hear about, anything, let me know. And, uh, and I would happily read what you have to say. I read all the emails that come to that one. So that's about it for me. Thank you so much again. Lastly, I do want to thank our new sponsor. That is Category 1 Games. Now, if you are looking for an old collectible card game like these ones behind me here, jump onto Category1Games.com and find their great competitive market pricing. You will find those guys linked in the description, of course. And by all means, they have great customer service and fantastic competitive prices, especially in this crazy time where Ebays and, and Facebook groups and stuff like that are sort of the median and being able to set their own prices in some ways. So check them out first. They have a ton of stuff. If you're looking to build a collection or fill a few holes in a collection that you already have. All right, that's it from me. Thank you so much. Again, by all means, check out the Kickstarter for Genesis Battle of Champions if it's still live or even just see how it did if you're watching this at a later date. I cannot wait to reconvene. So that has been it for me on the Booster Pack. Until next time, I've said it once. And as always, I will say it again, keep shuffling. <laughs>